Thank you, Pastor Steve. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for trusting me. Um, thank you all for being here and listening. Hopefully, I have something of value to, to give to you today. Um, I thought it was kind of funny as I was putting on the, the wireless mic beforehand. It just reminded me of uh, an incident when I was about eight years old. I was at my dad's church, and, and my dad was a pastor. I grew up in a, in a pastor's home. But the, the sound guy trusted me with the microphone and said, hey, take this up to your dad. I said, okay, no problem. But I'm eight years old, and this is a really cool thing. So I was out in the foyer, and I, I had the microphone, and I'm sitting there on, off, on, off. Hello? Right? And I didn't hear anything because I was in the foyer, and the sound system's in the sanctuary. <laughs> so then I heard a, a, you know, a lady comes out, and she, she goes up to one of the elders in the church, and she's like, it sounds like there's some kids playing with a microphone somewhere or whatever. And I just quickly took the microphone to my dad. I'm like, here you go, whatever. I don't know what she's talking about. Kids playing with a microphone? I don't know. Anyway, so today I feel kind of like a kid playing with a microphone, you know. Um, but it was a fun time. And anyway, lots of microphone experiences. Here's something else just kind of funny to, to get you started with the, with the microphones. The church that my dad pastored was like a block away from a uh, Taco Bell. And one point, the cordless mic channel happened to be the same as the drive-through mic channel. So he's about halfway through a sermon, you know, whatever, and all you can kind of hear is, I'd like a beef burrito. I don't know how much of the message got through that day, but it was a lot of fun, and we quickly changed the channel on the microphone the next week. But anyhow. Uh, as I get started this morning, I just uh, start in a word of prayer and then, and then get into the message. God, thank you for being our God and for being so good to us. Thank you that you love us so very much. As Pastor Steve said a few minutes ago, you love us more than we even realize. And you're better than we realize that you are. And we just thank you, Lord. I pray that you would open up our hearts to receive what you have for us today. I pray, Lord God, that your anointing would be upon the words that I speak. Lord, let them not be my words, but your words. And let hearts be changed today. Let people be drawn to you and your love. You are so good, and we give you honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you once again. I, uh, I'm grateful for this privilege to, to continue in the uh, study of 1 John that Pastor Steve and Mamie began several weeks ago. Um, now, last week, Pastor Steve finished up with chapter 2. So this week, we begin with chapter 3. And... Um, since it's obvious that at this rate, Pastor Stephen Mamie will still be preaching through 1 John about Thanksgiving, I'm going to go ahead and get us through, I'm going to get us through chapters 3 and at least half of chapter 4, and that way, you know, kind of move us along a little bit. You guys good with that? Uh, all right, maybe we won't get quite that far, but anyway, for, for a quick review of context, um, the, author, the author does not actually directly identify himself in this book, right? But it's been attributed to John, John the Apostle of Jesus Christ, one of the twelve, Right? Uh, the son of Zebedee, one of the sons of thunder. It's thought that it was written while he was uh, working with the church in Ephesus. Uh, they think that he was there for, for many years helping to, to build that church. Um, its purpose is twofold, to expose false Gnostic teachers, teachers and also to give believers assurance of salvation. And so that's kind of the context of this, this whole thing, right? Um, as you recall, when Pastor Stephen Mamie began teaching this several weeks ago, John starts off the letter by declaring what was from the beginning what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John makes it very clear that he was an eyewitness to these things that happened, right? John was with Jesus as he taught for three years, as he ministered. John was uh, present on the Mount of Transfiguration when Moses and Elijah appeared and Jesus was transfigured. John was there when the 5,000 were fed with fishes and loaves. John was a witness to healings and miracles. He heard Jesus rebuke the Pharisees and correct them and, and give them right teaching. Uh, John was there when Jesus was crucified. Matter of fact, from the, from the cross itself, Jesus gave instructions to John. He said, John, take care of my mom. And he looked at his mom and said, hey, behold your son. So this is a close relationship. Jesus and John were, were tight, right? A matter of fact, the Bible says that he was the uh, the apostle that Jesus loved, or the disciple that Jesus loved, right? So he had a close relationship. He wasn't just anybody, he was somebody. Um, 
I say all this to say that John was absolutely an apostolic voice to the early church. What do I mean? I mean that John was not merely just a bystander. He wasn't somebody that happened to be alive. He wasn't a historian that was collecting data and putting it all together to write a book. Um, Instead, he was actually there hands-on with Jesus throughout his ministry. Uh, John was... um, he was with Jesus through, through his ministry, through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection. Every part of it, he was there. So when, when John had something to say, it had weight to it. Amen. It had authority. Because John was right there. You know, he was one of the apostles of the Lamb. He, he knew this stuff. And, and, and if there had been something fake about it, if there had been something made up, you know, a lot of people try to say, oh, well, you know, the, the apostles kind of got together and they made this story up and they put it all together. If that had happened... John would be one of the guys that's like, you know, look, I was there. I know what I saw. I know what I experienced. I, I was there, guys. Trust me on this, right? So he had apostolic authority. When he spoke, it meant something. And I want to say today, when he speaks, when we read his word, it means something. There's authority there. I mean, it, it, it's extra authority because it's actually the Bible, right? We know it's actually ultimately the word of God. But even so, just because it came from John directly, we know that this, was, this can be a trustworthy word, right? All right, so that's all context as far as the, the, the book itself. But for, for today's uh, scripture, I want to start where Pastor Steve uh, shared with us last week, and then we'll move into chapter 3. Last week, he started uh, in verses 28 and 29. He said, And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, he, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So if we abide in Christ, we have confidence and do not feel shame in his presence, right? That's what Pastor Steve talked about last week, is we can stand boldly before Christ and we don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be um, timid because we are his children. We're born of God is what it says, right? Uh, I mean, that, that in and of itself, that, that right there is good news. Amen. That right there is enough to make you shout just that, hey, I'm born of God. That's good stuff, right? In verse 29, John talks of practicing righteousness. There's, that's a big part. Matter of fact, beyond what I teach today, that I believe Pastor Stephen Mamie will get into this a little bit more next week. Um, he talks about practicing righteousness and it also talks about practicing uh, sin. It's, it's the idea, though, that it doesn't say there that, that uh, just because somebody does a good thing or a righteous deed, that that's what makes them righteous. It's talking about practicing righteousness. What do I mean practicing righteousness? I mean that you do it over and over and over. You've gotten pretty good at it, maybe, because you've learned to be a righteous person. Not saying you're perfect. None of us are, right? If anybody says they're perfect, well, they're lying to you. The Bible says that very clearly, actually. It says if you're without sin, then you're, you lied to yourself. You deceived yourself. So we know we're not without sin. We know we're not perfect. But we also know that we are born of God. Amen. Um, He's speaking to people who, who practice righteousness, people who keep his commandments, living lives in which they continually strive to be like Jesus, to do the right things. These are people who have come to know him, as John spoke about earlier in chapter 2, the people who have come to know Christ, right? Well, John knew him in a way that we'll never get to know him as he walked on the earth, but through John's writing, I believe we can get an understanding of who Christ was and who we are in Christ. Uh, these are people who have come to know him and when he talks of those who practice sin, he's not talking about people who sin. Because if he's just talking about people who sin, guess what? He'd be talking about all of us. But he talks about people who practice sin. And so in the same way as you have people who practice righteousness, try to do what's right, try to do the good thing, try to, to be the people of God, well, there's other people who practice sin. What do I mean? Do they set out to sin? Eh, maybe not, but they're setting out to please themselves. They're setting out to do their own thing, to say, hey, I don't care what God has to say. I'm just going to do what I want to do because... You know, I'm going to be me, and, and, and if you don't like it, tough, and, you know, whatever. Those, those are people who practice sin, right? Um, it's willful. It's continual. There's no remorse, no repentance, no desire to change. Those, those are not seeking the things of God. Those who are concerned about the things of the world rather than the things of God. So when we get into talking about that, especially later on in chapter 3, um, that's the distinction there. Practicing sin versus practicing righteousness. Not just doing a good deed, but doing good deeds continually. Right. Doing the right thing because it's the right thing. Doing the right thing not because somebody's watching or somebody's going to see me, but because it's the right thing to do, right? 
I think we have, we've, we've lost some of that in today's society. A lot of people say, well, hey, nobody's ever going to notice. So just sweep this one under the rug, right? Is that, is that the way we're to live? Is that what it, what it, what it teaches? No, that's, that's practicing sin. That's not practicing righteousness. All right, so now it gets us to chapter three. That's all build up. Now we get into today's lesson, chapter three. All right, let's read chapter uh, three, verses one through three. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now in 2.29, he said that those who practice righteousness are born of God. Now in these verses, he digs that a little bit deeper. He, he goes a, d- a little deeper in there. It starts out, behold, or see what kind of love the Father has given us. That's a big statement there, that see or behold. That's, you know, we kind of read over that sometimes. It's just, okay, yeah, see what the kind of love the Father... No, 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 behold what, what, what love the Father has given us. He's saying, stop everything and check this out. This is something crazy here. This is something big. This is something that's, that's, that's more than you can, can think about. This love that he's about to talk about is like mind-blowing love, right? Um, this is not a normal act of love. This is not some little, little gift. This is serious. This is like you, it's kind of like this. You thought you were getting socks for Christmas, and you find the keys to a brand new car in the stocking kind of, you know, you see what I'm, I'm saying? Like, okay, the socks would be nice, but you're talking about a new car? Like paid off? Yeah, yeah, for, for real, give it to me. That's the kind of love this is talking about, okay? That's how big this kind of love is. This is how, big deal. Yes. Am I getting the point across? You understand a little bit? Big love. All right. Uh, this kind of love, it, it, it's uh, uh, described in, in Kenneth Weiss' translation. There, there's a translation I have, it's an expanded translation. He says, behold what exotic foreign to the human heart love the father has permanently bestowed upon us so the idea here is this love is not mundane it's not average it's not nice it's huge it's bigger than we can really wrap our head around and i like what pastor steve said in the greeting earlier he simply said hey god is better than we think he is because it's true the love that he has for us is better than anything we can imagine. And, and I hope that today we just get to get just a, a glimpse, just a little bit more of what that is. So this exotic, foreign to our heart kind of love. What does it mean foreign to our heart? Because we don't have that capacity in and of ourselves. I can't love that big. I can try, but at some point, I just get frustrated. I get fed up. I get, things don't go the way I want it to, right? But God's like, hey, look, this is, I love you this much. So as, as, as you start to understand the big deal kind of love this is, he goes on to emphasize that this is permanently bestowed upon us. That's good stuff. Amen. It's not just a temporary thing. It's not just an act of love. You know, the, there's people, as, as people, as fallen people, we do stupid stuff sometimes. And we screw up, we mess up. And have you ever seen sometimes people do something stupid, they, they yell at their wife or they get in a fight or whatever, and then they come back and they do something, they, they bring flowers because oh, I want to make up to it. I want to I give you some flowers to, to say, hey, look, I didn't really mean it. I love you. Right? This isn't flower kind of thing. This is a permanent change here, right? That permanently become children of God. So I think, I think that's probably enough right there. We can just stop right there. Um, we'll just meditate on this great love that the Father has given to us. So we can have the worship team come back up. They can play softly. We can just think about this great love. Right? I mean, really, if you think about the, the, the love that God's talking about here is so big that, that if you stop for a minute and think about it, if you close your eyes and think, well, how much does he love me? That much? Wait a minute. Really? You mean it? That's how big this is. I, I hope I'm getting a little bit of the, the flavor of this out there. That the love that God has for us is so much more than we can even, you know, imagine. 
Um, that's why he says, you know, it says in scripture that, that our God can do so much more than we can ask, think, or imagine. You know what? He's bigger than we imagine he is. He's more powerful than we imagine he is. There are times when we think we're, we think we understand who he is, and then he says, hey, I'm bigger than that. I'm better than that. Right? All right. Um, the reality is nothing good that we have in this world was earned by any goodness of our own. Nothing good that we have was because of our doing. Paul says what? That our righteousness is as filthy rags, right? It, it's, it's worthless. It's trash. In and of ourselves, we don't have the capacity to be right, to be righteous, to be holy, all that kind of stuff. Um, we didn't earn this love. We don't deserve this love. And yet still, we're recipients of this great exotic love. But it doesn't stop there, so we'll go on. He says that we should be called children of God. I like what Weiss puts it. He says we're born ones of God. Not just children, but we're born of God. That's, that, that's a different, that means that we were dead beforehand, and now we're alive in Christ. We have been born of God. You, you know, we, we hear words that sometimes you, you hear them so much you don't really get it. The whole idea of being born again is a real concept throughout Scripture. That we are truly born again. This is a new life that God puts in us. This is a new thing. We are children of God. Um, Right? So, I don't think... I, no, I, I know that we don't grasp the fullness of what it means to be called children of God. That phrase doesn't hold the weight that I think it really should in our hearts. And mine, mine, mine included. I don't, I don't grasp the fullness. What does it mean to be a child of God? Oh, it's good. Okay. No, it's better than good. It's incredible. So let, let's go on and find out a little bit more about it. This, this is a new identity that, that God gives to his followers. That we're now associated with him, and not merely as, as acquaintances, not merely as friends, although the Bible does say we're friends, but we're children of God. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody that goes kind of like this? Says, hey, uh, you know Sam Zachrell? The other guy says, Sam Zachrell, wait a minute, yeah, that, that's Chris's son, right? I know him. There's an association there. When you think of one, you think of the other. Because they're connected. Let that sink in for a second. Because when you realize that we're connected with God in that way, that when they say, you know that guy Norm? That's one of God's children, right? I know him. You know that Dan Pulliam? Yeah, that's one of God's kids, right? That's him. There's a connection there that we have with God that's more powerful than I think any of us truly grasp. It's more real. Um, it's, it's more than just being associated, like I said, it's not just being acquainted with. It's not just, okay, I'm friends with God. But he and I are connected in such a way that when, one, when, when people think of God, they think of us as his children. And all of a sudden, we walk in a different authority. Yeah. We walk in a different mindset, a different power. Now, I, I get it that some people don't want anything to do with their earthly fathers. I understand there's some deadbeat dads out there. There's, there's abusive fathers. There's, there's, there's some bad dudes, right? So I don't, I don't expect everybody to have a great feeling of a good feeling towards their father but what we have to do is get over that and recognize that the father of God is the good father that we may never have had whether your dad was a great dad or whether your dad was a, was a jerk it doesn't matter God is good Amen. okay and we can declare that to the utmost yes. and when we begin to understand that uh, then, then we can be un, begin to appreciate that because I, I don't want anybody to, to, to say well I don't want anything to do with, with that because that's what a father is no, no, no. Forget about your idea of what a father is and realize what the word of God says that a father is and what it means to be a child of God. All right, so 
When you're associated with him, immediately you have credibility in the spirit realm because you're a child of God. Amen. You no longer walk around as a nobody. You walk around as a child of God. There's a story in, in the book of Acts. I'm sure you've all heard of it. The seven sons of Siva. Yeah. They got kind of a glimpse of this, right? They got a little, yeah. little taste of it because they tried to use um, the name of Jesus as kind of like a magic incantation. They tried to use the name of Jesus to cast out demons, yet they didn't have relationship with him. So they were not children of God, yet they were trying to take hold of the promises of God that were not given to them because they were not children, right? Um, but there was something that happened in that story. The demons responded to them. They said, wait a minute, we know Jesus. We've heard of Paul. Who are you? There's something in the spirit realm that happened. They heard of Paul. They knew about him. Why? Because Paul was a child of God. So in the spirit realm, he began to have authority. I mean, there, there's so much in that, just that little story right there that, that, that you could really... De- Demons that are dealing with Siva's sons are saying, well, we know Paul. Wait, what? How did Paul have anything to do with this? He's across the country somewhere else. We don't even know, what, you know where was he at. But they knew in the spirit realm something happened here, right? So when you begin to walk as a child of God, there's a recognition of your authority in the spirit realm that we don't see in the natural realm. And we got to understand that. Try to get a a glimpse of that. Try to grasp that. Because if we can grasp that, we can understand that we walk around not as merely people, not as merely flesh and blood, but as children of God in the spirit realm, we can walk around with his authority and, and his name attached to us. And that connection that when people say, hey, I know her, she's a daughter of God. Yeah. I know him, he's a son of God. It's different, right? So, uh, your words even begin to take on a new authority. When you say things, it's no longer just on your own merit. But it's on the merit of God working through you. Now, I don't want to get off the deep end here. I know there are those that say, you know, well, you know, once you get saved, you become, you become gods yourselves. No, we're not gods. We're not like him. But we do walk in his power. Absolutely. And we do become born of God. We do become children of God. And so there is, there is something of that, right? We don't become like God. I'm not trying to compare us with him. I'm not saying something heretical here. But we do move up a notch, so to speak. We become more than what we are in and of our own selves because we are now associated with the Father. So there's, there's something that happens and our words begin to, to, to take more power on because we are born of God. This spiritual birth takes place um, and we'll, we'll see more about this in, in a few moments here. Uh, but John uses the same phrase in other passages as well. In his gospel, the gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 11 through 13, he uses the phrase, uh, children of God. He says, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood or the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God. To all who receive him, who believed, he gave the right to become children of God. That's us. Amen. We're given that right to become children of God. We're given that right because it wasn't about who our mama was, who our daddy was. It wasn't about our bloodline, whether we're Jewish or Gentile or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. It was about being called of God and receiving it. In the lead up to the crucifixion, when recounting the words of the high priest Caiaphas, John says this, chapter, uh, John chapter 11, verse 49 through 52, he writes this, he says, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, he said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand it. It is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this out of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into, the, into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. 
There's that phrase again, children of God. I think it's interesting that Caiaphas, the high priest, could hold an office of authority in the Jewish temple as high priest, like he's top dog, right? And yet he could prophesy and not even realize what he was doing. He's speaking words that he has no idea what he's saying. He's saying, hey, it's better that one man should die than all of us die, right? Okay, there's some validity to that on its own merit. But it gets even better when you realize that that was God's plan all along. Here's this guy speaking this out. He doesn't even know what he's saying. He's just simply saying something that, that sounds smart. Say something smart. Right? He, he says something smart, and, and, and it happens to be that he's prophesying the very word of God. He's speaking that into existence. He doesn't even realize that that's the whole purpose of Jesus coming here so that all of us don't have to die, but he can, he can die on our behalf. It, it amazes me that, that that can happen, that you can speak something and not even realize that what you're saying is prophetic. Do you realize that each and every one of you in this room can do the same thing? Amen. That when you're sharing your love with other people, your truth with other, the truth with other people, I should say, I want to be careful how I say that. When you're sharing the truth of God's word with other people, you don't know how it's going to impact them. Amen. Sometimes we think, well, hey, I got this all figured out. Let me explain it to you. And we have our, our 10 point you know, explanation, right? And to us, it makes perfect sense. And to somebody listening, they're saying, are you almost done yet? Got somewhere I need to be here. Kind of boring. You know, it, they're not receiving it. But sometimes you can say just that one little thing that touches their heart in a way that you don't even realize that you're speaking the very utterance of God. You're speaking prophetically into their life, into that part that they haven't even, they didn't even know they needed God. But you can say it and it can break them down like that as far as, at breaking, their, breaking through their pride and their, their hardness of heart to receive the gospel. So we just need to be open to the fact that our words are powerful. Amen. That our words have that authority. Why? Because we're children of God. So when we speak as children of God, we should expect our words to have some power, right? When God spoke, what happened? When he said, let there be light, what happened? There it was. Now, are we creative in the, sense, in the same sense that God is creative? If I say, let there be light, you know, no, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that there is a bit of that, yes, sir. that there is power in the words that I say, yes. not because of anything that I'm special, but because he's special and he lives in me, right? Same is true for each one of you. All right. Um, we need to understand something else, and that is that not everybody is a child of God. In the world, that, that phrase is used a lot. A lot of people say, oh, we're all children of God. No, we're not. True. We're not. It's just not true. And yet people say it all the time and we simply kind of like let it go because, oh, it sounds nice. Wouldn't it be nice if we were all children of God? <laughs> the phrase is used inappropriately. And although Jesus did die so that everyone might have life, only those that accept him get to experience that life. Only those that accept him are children of God. We need to understand that that is, that is true, that is valid, that is real. Because the world's going to tell you something different. They're going to try to say that, that everybody's a child of God just because they're you know, created. No, not true. Everybody has a potential to become a child of God. Everybody can have a change of heart. Everybody can look to him. But they have to accept his sacrifice. Amen? Yeah. Paul also used this phrase. Not just John, but Paul used it too. In uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 16, he's, he even takes it a, a step further. I like what he says here. He says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Because he says, if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So not only are we children, but what does it mean to be a child of God? That means we're also heirs. Co-heirs with Christ. Can you even begin to grasp how amazing it is that we are fellow heirs with Christ? Everything that the Father has in store for Christ, he has for D. 
Everything that the father has for Christ, he has for Susan. Is it registering? You realize we're, we're co-heirs with Christ. I know I'm not telling you anything that's new here. I'm just reading, reading a few verses of scripture. This is what the Bible says. But I, I hope it starts to, to excite you a little bit because we don't, we don't often stop to take the time to realize who we truly are and walk that out. What he has for Christ, he has for you and for me too. As children of God, we are heirs of the kingdom. Now, I got to say, I don't fully understand that concept with my natural mind. I know it's true, and I accept it. And I hope he continues to reveal that and help me to understand what that means. But I know it's true, right? As it says in Ephesians 2, 6, he says that he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. All right, there might be enough reason to shout a little bit. That we're seated in heavenly places with Christ. That's good news. That's exciting. That's good stuff. Now, how does that practically play out in my life? I don't know yet. Sometimes I get it. Sometimes I get glimpses of it. I feel like I understand it. Other times, not so much. But it's true. And so the first thing is, I'm just going to accept that. But going back to 1 John 3, I love that John adds this little extra statement. It's a little parenthetical. He says, and so we are. And so we are. So you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) It's a little side note, right? So we are. This points to the fact that we are not only, not only do we have the name child of God, but the character. And so we are with the Apostle John, we can declare that we are children of God by saying that, by saying this in this way, he's simply emphasizing the validity of it. That this is who we are. This is who we are. Do you get it? That's what, that's what John, John's saying when he, when he adds that little extra statement. He's saying, hey, I want you to know you're all children of God. No, no, no. You are children of God. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that extra little oomph to, to, to understand who we are. The reason why uh, the world does not know us is that it did not know him. The second half of verse one there. Just like the people that walked the earth when Jesus walked in the flesh did not recognize him, neither will the people of this world this day recognize us for who we are. To them, we're just another person. To them, like I said before, we're all children of God. They don't understand the difference between those of us that that receive Christ. And since since darkness does not have fellowship with light, they cannot possibly grasp what it means that we're children of God. The world does not recognize the difference. Yes, our lives will begin to reflect Christ's likeness, and given enough time, they might notice change in us, right? They might say, hey, you're not the guy you used to be. But just looking at us, there's, no, there's nothing that comes upon us that says, oh, wait, okay, I, see, I can see in the natural that you're a different person now, right? I mean, some people, they do have a change of demeanor. There, there's a, maybe their countenance is, is a little lighter than it was, whatever, different. But we don't get a halo to wear around. Right? There's not like some signifying thing that says, okay, that one's a child of God, that one's a child of God. Not in the natural realm. I believe in the spirit realm, I believe there is something yeah. going on there. Right? Yeah. In the natural, we don't see that. And uh, you know, the same thing was, was true with Jesus. Remember what they said about him? Isn't that a carpenter's son? That's all they could see him as. They couldn't understand that he was something more than what they knew growing up. When a person accepts Jesus as Lord and confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that God raised Christ from the dead, we know that something happens. Right? Does a a change actually take place? Absolutely it does. I want you to think about it like this, though, because it's not recognized immediately, usually. It's not something that you can see happen, but it happens. Think about it in the context of, of a wedding. When two people are getting married... They gather all their friends together, all their family together, right? They gather in a church before a minister, before witnesses. They're all dressed up in their best, right? And what do they do? They make vows to one another. They confess with their mouth the belief in their heart that they're going to love one another, they're going to take care of each other till death do us part. They make these, these words, right? And when they say that, something happens. 
It's a strange phenomenon because nothing happens in the physical. I mean, they might smile a little bit bigger. They might look a little happier. But nothing happened to the two. Like, they don't, like, all of a sudden, like, start glowing and, 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 and confetti fall and, and they start, you know, raising up off the ground. No, that, that's like Disney movie stuff, right? That doesn't happen in real life. But something happens. Because in that moment, when they declare these things over each other, what was sinful a few moments before is now blessed of God. They become one now. It's like a real thing happens. I think that, that we, we lose that today because so many people choose to, to wait to get married. They, they don't want to get married or they, they don't see the value in it. I got to tell you, something happens in the spirit realm whenever the, the, the two make a confession and commitment to one another verbally, in front of witnesses, in front of a minister, before God. It's a new thing. They become one. Amen. And so everything changes in that moment. The same thing happens when we confess Jesus as Lord. There's something that happens at that moment that you don't see in the physical realm. And because we don't see it, a lot of times we gloss over it and say, I don't know if anything happened or not. Maybe. We'll see. Give it time. We'll see if it lasts. Right? Wait, am I talking about salvation or am I talking about what? I don't know. <clears throat> There's a miracle that takes place in, in the new birth. Verse 2, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that what, when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. All right, so now we begin to understand that we become who we have become in Christ. We are God's children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared. It has not been made, yet been manifested. It is not yet known. You realize that before the incarnation of Christ, before he came to earth, before he walked the earth and taught and all the kind of stuff that we have in the Gospels, God's plan, his intention for humanity had not yet been manifested. There were prophets that spoke to it. They gave little pictures, little glimpses. There are things in, in creation that pointed to it. Right? There are some that even say that the, the, the whole Gospel is written out in the stars. And, and that's a really neat study, too. Sometimes you look at that. But even though we had all these little glimpses and little pieces and, and of the puzzle, until he came in bodily form, nobody understood it. It wasn't manifest. In hindsight, we can look back. We can see the crimson thread woven, woven throughout history, throughout Scripture, right? But it wasn't clear until it happened. It wasn't clear until it was. Right? And actually, even though Jesus himself explained it, his own followers didn't really get it until after the resurrection. They're still looking for him to establish an earthly kingdom. In a similar way, until Christ's second coming, it won't be fully clear what we are to become. We know that we will be like him. That's very clear, right? What does that mean? (laughs) Something good. That's a great answer, Pastor Steve. It means something good. What? We don't really get it. And, and quite frankly, I don't think, uh, I don't think we're going to get it completely until that day gets here. Even the most prestigious scholars cannot declare with certainty what it means to be like him. I've heard a lot of speculation on what that means, right? We know that in heaven there's going to be no more tears, no more crying, all that kind of stuff. So we know it is good. But I don't know what it means. What does a glorified body look like? <laughs> I don't know, but Jesus walked through walls, and yet he still ate food. So there's something good there, right? We're going to have some superpower, and then we still get to eat. So I'm down. Romans 8, 19 through 21 says it like this. It says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So there's going to be a glory attached to us as children of God. We're going to be something a lot better than what we are now. I know it's hard to imagine. I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty good looking guy now. So how much better am I going to be looking? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But we are going to walk with a glory that we, don't, we, we can't even imagine right now, Right? We're going to be like him. 
And like him means I, I believe that we're going to be perfected in a lot of ways. And it's not just a physical thing. I think there is some physical attributes as well. But we're going to be like him in, in our under, understanding. We're going to be like him in, in our faith. We're going to be like him in our, uh, just in a lot of different ways. Once again, I can't spell that out exactly because the Bible isn't clear about that. That's one of those areas that we get to, to kind of wait and see. I can't wait. I'm excited. I'm hoping for it, right? It's, it's, it's a good thing coming. So uh, in a similar way, until Christ's second coming, it won't be fully clear what we are to become. We know that we shall be like him, but we don't know exactly what that means. Okay, so what we can say with certainty is that when Christ returns, it will be revealed who we truly are as children of God. All of a sudden, that stuff that I said you couldn't see in the physical will be known. Yeah. It'll be revealed. It was hidden. Now it's going to be seen. And uh, how many of you are familiar with J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings? You guys familiar with that story? Some of you? Ever since I first read these books 25 years ago, I have, I've had this image in my head. There's, there's a character in the story um, that's first introduced by the name of Strider. Strider's like a, a shadow dweller, right? He's kind of a, I don't know, kind of a, a shady dude in some ways. You don't know much about him at first. Um, he, he can walk through a forest without, without anybody knowing he's even there. He can walk into any room and, and, and people just kind of have a, they're like, hey, keep an eye on that guy in the corner. I don't know about him. I don't know, something about him. I don't know, right? He had that air about him that he's a little bit, little bit scary. Maybe he's good. Maybe he's bad. I don't know. Let's see. But he, he uh, takes on this responsibility to take care of these hobbits, they're called, small creatures, whatever, and they journey into some dangerous places. And at first, they don't know, is he a good guy or is he a bad guy? Is he somebody we can trust? Is he not? Right? All we know is, is he's here, and, uh, well, there's this guy. He, he, at least nobody's going to mess with him. We can, you know he's a fighter, right? You can tell just by his, his garb and everything else that he knows, he knows how to protect himself, and he can do some damage, right? So that's the kind of guy he is. He's, he's going to take care of these guys, and, and, and they don't have much choice but to follow him because what's following them is way more evil than he is. So they're like, okay, well, all right, we know this one's bad. We, we don't know whether he's good or bad. Let's go with this one. At least, at least we got a 50-50 shot, right? So as the story progressive, progresses, he begins to show that he is a faithful friend. Matter of fact, he puts his own life in danger for the sake of these hobbits and all this kind of stuff. Um, he shows that he has wisdom and knowledge. He knows how to attain food in the wilderness. He knows how to uh, fight off these evil creatures that are after him, these spirit beings, all this kind of stuff. He knows how to, to heal when people are injured or sick. Um, he even has a connection with elves and can speak their language. So like, as, as the story progresses, you get to know this guy a little bit more. But much later in the story, as it moves along, and I know you guys are saying, what does this have to do with Scripture? Trust me, I'm, I'm getting there. All right. Maybe a little nerdy, but I'm getting there. Much later in the story, there's a somewhat shocking revelation. Because you learn that this guy Strider actually has another name. He actually has several other names. He says, I am Aragorn, son of Arathorn. I'm called Elisar, the Elfstone Dunedin. The heir of Isildur, Elendil's son of Gondor. All right, that's a whole lot of names here, right? He's, he's saying, look, this is who I am. I'm actually the rightful heir to the throne of Gondor. There's this king there that, that died and whatever. I'm the next in line. I'm the one that's going to rule this kingdom. That's who I really am. But you wouldn't know it looking at him. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, this guy, he's just a, a normal dude. He's just a good dude helping people out, right? He's using his gifts and abilities to bless others. And then all of a sudden it's revealed that, oh, wait a minute. This guy's heir to the king. He's heir to the throne. Like, he's the next guy going to be on the throne. But we didn't know that because he was sleeping out in the, in the, on the dirt. He, he walked with us when it was raining outside. He got soaking wet. And, and, and you mean he could have been living in luxury, like, Eating bonbons and, and, and sitting, you know, living it up on, on cushy whatever. Yeah, he could have been. But he wasn't. 
And even though he's reluctant to take on the responsibility of king, and there's all kinds of other stuff in the story there, eventually near the end of the story, he finally takes his rightful place as king. He goes from looking like this bedraggled, almost like a beggar or something, to becoming the king of Gondor. He's crowned, he's beautiful, all this kind of stuff. I think we even had some pictures of it. I don't know if they, they might not have come through. But in this life, it may not be clear who we are. People may look at us with disdain. They may doubt who we are inside. But when Christ returns, it will be revealed who we truly are as children of God. I don't know about you, but I almost get goosebumps thinking about that. That the revelation that's going to come, we're looking forward to the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? But he's looking forward to the revelation of us, who we are as sons of God. The whole creation is longing. What did it say there a couple verses that we read? Uh, Let's see here. Romans 8, 8, 19, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Not the son of God. The sons of God. That's us. All of creation is waiting for, for, for us to be revealed. So people are saying, wait a minute. I just thought that Norm was a regular guy, but check it out. He's a son of God. Right? That's exciting stuff. That just as we look forward to Christ being revealed, he's looking forward to revealing us as who we are. I'm just excited about it. (laughs) All right, let me see where I'm at here. So we're going on just a little bit more here. What does it go on to say? It says, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Now, like I said, I don't think we truly grasp who he is. So we, how could we possibly grasp who we truly are? I don't think we get how amazing this love is that was spoken of you know, a couple of verses ago. I don't think we understand how good he truly is. I don't think we understand how much value he places on each and every one of us. Until we see him as he is, we won't know what it means exactly to be like him. And sometimes I get this, I really feel like I get an idea of it. I'm like, okay, I, I understand who I am in Christ. I begin to see myself. Um, as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I realize that I'm more than a conqueror. I'm more than an overcomer. I realize that I am, you know, anointed of God, right? All the things that the Bible tells me. And then there's the next day, and I really don't get it. And I don't see myself as he sees me. And I think, man, I, sometimes I feel like a failure. And sometimes I don't really measure up. And I don't get to be all that I think I should be. In this life, I think we're going to have some of that, right? Yeah. We're going to have some ups and downs. But we got to get back to the word and recognize, okay, well, the word says I'm a child of God. So whether I feel like I'm a child of God or whether I don't feel like a child of God, I got to believe that I am a child of God. We shall see him as he is. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says this, for, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am, have been fully known. There's more revelation to come. When Christ uh, returns, then we shall fully know him and he'll cause us to be fully known. So we're gonna finish up uh, with verse three here. It says, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. What does that mean? It means that we have a part to play in this. We have some responsibility. We know that God is pure. We know that God is righteous. We know that God is holy. And we know that we aren't. But we also know that if, as we trust him, he implores us to purify ourselves as he is pure. So we got a part to play in this. We need to begin purifying ourselves. What do I mean purifying ourselves? Living righteously, living holy lives, doing the right things. Um, becoming what he called us to become, Right? purifying ourselves that means that that sometimes i don't do what my flesh might want to do because i know that god wouldn't approve it means sometimes i got to go and ask forgiveness for something that i really don't want to ask forgiveness for but i got to humble myself and do it it means that We've got to begin doing the work in our own hearts and trusting that God's going to, do, going to come along beside us and give us the strength and the ability to do it. Amen? Yes. That purifying yourself, 
Does that mean that we're going to all of a sudden, you know, be righteous? No. In and of yourself, you'll never be righteous. Um, back to the Lord of the Rings analogy for just one moment, though. Aragorn was the rightful heir of Gondor long before he was ever crowned the king, right? But he had to walk in the character of a king before he could be given the crown of a king. He had to walk treating others with respect and love, being selfless and giving of himself like a good king should before he could deserve the actual crown that was there for him. In the same way, before we get to walk as truly as as children of God, we have to learn to give up our own self. We need to be selfless. We need to learn to love others. We need to be all the things that God is telling us to be because we are children of God. So what do you do to, to, to practice to become children of God? You practice righteousness. We talked about that at the beginning, right? You, you, you do away with the practice of sin. Does that mean you're not going to sin? No, we've talked about that. But it means you'd stop practicing sin. You don't do it just all the time. When you, when you do sin, you realize you mess up, you repent, right? You come back to God. You have to have the character required to be the child of God so that you can begin to walk out what it means to be a child of God. The word's clear that none of us is righteous enough to stand before a holy God. None of us will ever measure up to his purity. Every one of us has missed it. However, when Christ died on the cross, he took upon himself our sin and clothed himself, or clothed us with righteousness. That we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means it's not, it's not about me, it's about what he's done for me. And when I can accept that, then I can begin to walk in that. I want to take just a minute here to make an invitation to everyone here today. If you don't know for certain that you're a child of God, if you've never accepted what Christ did for you on the cross, if you've never accepted the sacrifice that he made and you've never been born of God, I just want to invite you to make that decision now. So if that's you today, I'd just ask you to raise your hand so we can know that that you want to make that choice. And if so, we'll pray with you today. Those that are watching online, I I challenge you with the same thing. Do you know that you're a child of God? Do you know that the sacrifice he made was for you? If so, then I just encourage you just to, to recognize that right now. Believe it in your heart that, that God raised Christ from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. The Bible says that's all it takes. Just speaking it forth that this is the truth, that Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved.